My pleasure to welcome you this morning as Community of Grace is gathered together to, uh, to worship. And uh, as our call to worship this morning, I'd like to invite your attention to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11. The prophet says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble, they shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Here am I in the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so thankful that we can come together this morning and meet as a community of grace, Lord, and offer you our praise and our worship. Lord, we give you praise for who you are, Lord. We praise you for your glory and majesty, Lord. We thank you for the beauty that you have given us this day and the beauty in your creation and how it declares your glory and your majesty and your might, Lord. We, we thank you for the, the passing of days and the passing of seasons and the passing of years as by your divine providence, our earth has made a full rotation around the sun and we have entered into a new year and, and Lord, we accept this year as a gift of your providence and a gift of your grace. And we pray that, uh, that we would be good stewards of this gift and that we would uh, use our time wisely. Lord, that we would uh, redeem the time and that we would be faithful uh, to be the people that you've called us and brought us together to be in this place. And Lord, we pray for those that we know. We, we all know so many who are struggling during these days. Lord, those who are physically ill, Lord, those who are in need of your healing and your touch. And Lord, we pray for those who are undergoing uh, uh, regular treatments for disease. We pray for healing for them. We pray for maximum healing and those treatments and minimal side effects. And Lord, we pray for those who uh, have lost loved ones. We pray for those who are uh, grieving today, that you would grant them your comfort and your grace. Lord, we pray for those who are on the front lines in medical care, taking care of, uh, of the sick and ministering to the ill. And Lord, using uh, the skills and training that you've given to them to, uh, uh, to minister to bodies. And we pray that you keep them safe and that you help them be wise and gracious as they provide care. Lord, we pray for those that are in authority over us. Pray for uh, uh, the transition in our nation. We pray for healing for our land. Lord, we pray for unity and, and grace as a, as a nation. 
And we pray that you would raise up leaders for us that would first and foremost bend their knee to you and submit to your, your law and, your, and your, your word and your truth. And Lord, then stand up and lead us in righteousness and truth. We pray that you raise up godly leaders for us. And, and Lord, we are, are thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans and help us be good stewards of that as well. And God, we have met together to worship you, and we give you praise because of who you are. We give you praise because of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. We give you praise uh, for your work and your current ministry to us and your presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that your Spirit would enable and empower us to offer you worship that is in spirit and truth. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Right, I'm going to invite you to take out your hymnal and turn with me to hymn 101, hymn 2. Continuing to look at Luke's summary statement of the characteristics and commitments of the church that was born on the day of Pentecost. And we've gone real slow through this looking at the different characteristics and, uh, and commitments of that church and seeking to see how we can apply these truths to our community of grace, to our church, and seek to be a church that is pleasing to God and that is used according to His purpose to advance His kingdom in our place. And so... Uh, uh, Luke, in, verse, in, in chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, just summarizes the characteristics and commitments of that church. And he's gonna, we're going to see that play out in the history of the church, the expansion of the, uh, the church, the explosion of the church, and the rest of Acts. And, uh, and so uh, this summary statement will be unpacked as we continue our study through, through the book of Acts. So I'll read the whole summary, and we're going to focus today on the, the first part of verse 47. And we're going to see that this exploding exploding church had favor with the people. The exploding church had favor with the people. It was a church that had a good reputation in its community, which uh, as we read through Acts, that, that's kind of surprising that the church enjoyed favor with the people. And it's also kind of interesting that Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke tells us one thing about Jesus between the ages of 12 and 30. Between the ages of 12 and 30, we're told that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. And here we see the church, the early church, had favor with all the people just as Jesus did. And I, I believe Luke does that intentionally to show us that Jesus grew in favor with the people as did His church. And so let's look at this passage. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 40. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your word, Lord, and we're thankful that it is, uh, it is perfect. 
and that it is all that we need, everything we need for salvation and life and godliness we find in your word. And so, Lord, we thank you for its perfection and for its sufficiency and that it is living and active and, and, and cuts to the very core of who we are. And so, Lord, as we stand before your word, we, we recognize it's perfect, but our understanding of it is not. God, that we're dependent upon the ministry of your spirit to help us to see truth and to know truth and to, more importantly, apply truth to our lives and to our church. So, God, may your spirit work to do his convicting, converting, conforming work in us as we study your word together. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, uh, for most of my life, most of all of your life, the church in America has probably experienced a, a great time of comfort and peace. You know, the church in America has pretty much been the, the majority faith, Christianity, the majority faith in America, and we've, we've enjoyed the time of, uh, of comfort. And it doesn't take uh, a lot of watching the news or experiencing life to see that those times might be changing, that our nation is becoming increasingly secular, and that secularism is becoming increasingly militant, and there is a great hostility against the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. There's a great hostility against the, the ethical standards that the, the Scripture gives to us. There's a great hostility toward the exclusive claims of Jesus, that He alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father but through Him. And so the church is in a place where we have got to figure out how to go from being the majority faith group to the minority faith group. And the book of Acts is going to help us with that as we see the, the local church called out from a perverse generation, as we've talked about in this text. They were called out of that generation that had seen Jesus, the generation that had seen His miracles. And their, their, their religious leaders, their political leaders, their, uh, the mob, the crowd saw Jesus, saw His miracles, heard His teaching, heard the very words of God through Jesus, and rejected Him. And not only rejected Him, but declared that He was worthy of execution. Uh, as a traitor, as a blasphemer, and they fastened Him to a cross, and they killed Him, they put Him to death. And 50 days later, these 3,000 people are called out of that perverse generation. Come aside, come away, come out and you publicly profess your faith and your confidence that God has made this Jesus, whom they rejected and killed, God has made Him Lord in Christ. And you need to come and, and publicly profess your faith in Jesus, and publicly identify with Him through baptism, through believer's baptism, and His sinless life, His atoning death, His burial, and His glorious resurrection, and declare your faith that you... You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but that old man's been crucified with Christ and you've now been walked to, uh, raised to walk in newness of life. And so we talked last week about the hostility, about the difficulty, the difficult situation that this church, in which this church found itself. As they were called out of their generation, and yet they were called to be in the world, in that generation, but not of that world. They were called to be different. They were called to be a minority faith group. And we talked about their gladness last week. And today we see kind of a surprising fact to me that not only were they glad and praising God, but they had favor with all the people. And that word that's translated favor most often in the New Testament is, is translated grace. 
the people in the community, the people in the neighborhood liked them. They liked them. Their neighbors respected them. Their neighbors responded to them with, 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 with love and, 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 and showed favor to them just as his Jesus grew. He grew in favor with God and man. And, and this word, having, that, that doesn't mean that they had favor and things changed. No, this is continuous. They continued to like them. And that was kind of surprising to me because when I think about Jesus' words on the, on the last night of His life, you know, just 50 days before, Jesus is in the upper room in John chapter 15 and He tells the apostles or the, the, the leaders of this new church, He tells them that uh, if the world hates you, bear in mind that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. And this happened, that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law, they hated me without cause. And so Jesus tells His followers, the world is going to hate you. I've called you out of the world and called you to myself. You are to be in the world, but not of the world. And because you follow me and you preach my gospel, the world will hate you. The world will persecute you. The world will treat you unkindly and unfairly. And yet, we turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 47, and we see Luke tell us that the church was having favor with all the people, that the people were responding to the church graciously. They liked them. They liked the people that were in the church. And, and I think as we compare uh, John chapter 15 and, and Acts chapter 2, and as we look through the outworking of Acts, there's a couple of, of truths that we can seek to apply our community of grace. You know, this word grace, they had grace with all the people. The church is, a, in a very real way, a community of grace. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And as we've seen in Acts chapter 40, verse 47, we're to show grace to one another. There's not to be any needy among us. If there's a need, we should graciously and generously give to meet those needs. But we also see that the community responded to them. The neighbors responded to them with grace. And so how can we apply these truths to our community of grace? There's three truths that I'd like to, for us to consider. I believe that because... And we're going to see persecution really break out against this church in Acts chapter 4. A lot of persecution, uh, what Jesus said in John 15, is going to become a reality in Acts chapter 4 as they begin to become persecuted. And yet the people liked them. And so I believe that the hostility is because of the message and not the people in the church. The message, the gospel message, is offensive. But the people do not have to be. The people are not offensive. The people are kind and gracious. 
And it is the message that is offensive. And so the first truth that I want us to think about as we think about the church having favor with all the people is that the gospel is offensive. We read in, in Isaiah chapter, chapter 8, the, the message will be an offense. The message will be a stumbling block. The gospel message is offensive to the world. Uh, the gospel message is a sin to, uh, offensive to sinful people. Why? Well, because people basically... Uh, there's, there's three things about people that I like to point out. Number one, people like to think that they're pretty good. People like to think that they're, that they're pretty good. That they're at root, they're good. Yeah, they make some mistakes, they trip up a little bit, they do a couple of trespasses, but for the most part, people are pretty good. Well, the gospel says that there is none that is righteous, not even one. The gospel says that you have gone tragically bad. You were, yes, you were created good, very good, created in the image of, of a glorious and majestic God, but you foolishly and sinfully and, and, and stubbornly rebelled against that, that holy and righteous and just God. You were created good, but you've gone tragically bad. And you have foolishly rebelled against the greatest, most majestic, most beautiful, most glorious of all possible beings. The one who created you. You have rebelled against your Creator and you've fallen into a state of sin and misery and there is nothing that you can do that is good or right in the sight of your Creator. You're not basically good. You are totally depraved, hopelessly wicked utterly and completely sinful, and you can do nothing pleasing in the sight of your glorious Creator. People like to think that they're pretty good, but the Gospel tells us, no, you are wicked and unspeakably evil. You are more wicked than you have ever imagined. And that message is offensive to the world, offensive to sinners. And the other thing people like to, to think is they think they're pretty good and they also think they're in control. People think they're in charge. Well, the Gospel says, know what? You have, you, you have dug such a deep pit for yourself and your sin and your wickedness and your evil that there is no way that you can get yourself out. You are completely and totally helpless. You are completely and totally hopeless. You cannot do anything that will make you right. You can't do anything to make yourself better. You are utterly and completely and totally hopeless and helpless. You cannot save yourself. You cannot do any works that are good in the eyes of your Creator. You are utterly and completely and totally helpless and hopeless. That's an offensive message to people who think they're in control of their own destiny and that they can make their way through good decisions and hard work. A gospel message is offensive because people like to think they're good. The gospel tells us they are, they are hopelessly wicked, more evil than they've ever imagined. And the gospel tells them that they are absolutely and completely and utterly helpless and hopeless to do anything to save themselves or to do anything that is pleasing in the eyes of God. Another thing about sinners is sinners love their sin. <laughs> sinners love their sin. And they love to, to cling to their sin, and they, you know, if I can, if I can add religion and, and keep my sin, I, I, that's what I want to do. You know, I just want to, I, I, I don't want to change. I, I like what I do. I like the way that I am. I, I love my sin, and I want to, uh, to somehow figure out how to get to heaven while clinging to my sin. And the gospel tells us we must repent. 
we must repent, forsake our sin, hate our sin, and turn from our sin and be born again to new life and put our trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for salvation. Uh, sin must be, be identified and put to death and we must be at war with sin. And, and sinners who love their sin, that message is offensive. I want to be religious and I want to have Jesus and I want to go to heaven, but I also want to cling hold to my sin. The gospel message is offensive. And we see that in Acts chapter 2. We've seen Peter's sermon. You know, Peter's sermon, uh, pretty offensive. He starts off by saying, you know, God, uh, God attested Jesus to you in these miracles and these signs and wonders in this wonderful life there. He, he talks about, uh, uh, you know, God, God attested him. Verse 22, uh, miracles, wonders, and signs. He, he did them in your midst. You know this. You saw the miracles. You saw the signs. You saw the wonders. You saw the glory of God in Jesus. And what did you do? Verse 23, you delivered him and you took him by lawless hands, you fastened him to a cross, and you put him to death. And then he continues and he says, you know, God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then what does he say? Come out of your perverse generation. Peter does not begin by God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Peter begins with, you saw the miracles, you rejected the Christ, you put Him to death, you murdered Him, you are a part of a perverse generation, and you need to, to come out, come aside, turn from your sin, and put your trust in Jesus. Believe there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. That is a pretty offensive message. It's offensive to those who think that they're basically pretty good, that they are in control of their own destiny and that they can hold on to Jesus with one hand and their sin with the other, the message is an offense. The message is offensive. And we're going to see that play out in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. We'll see the world be offended by their message and we'll see a wave of persecution break out all the way through the book of Acts. But that offense is because of the message. And you know, we might be in a place today where we're tempted to pull back on the offense of the gospel. You know, we don't want to be called haters. We don't want to be canceled. We don't want to be called misogynist or uh, uh, white supremacist or, 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 or promoting some, some doctrine that is old and outdated and, and uh, oppressive. We might be tempted to remove some of the offense from the message, but if you lose the offense, you lose the message. If you lose the offense, you lose the gospels, the essential elements of the gospel, because the gospel says that we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. And we're so helpless and so hopeless that the only way for any of us to be saved is for God to slaughter His own Son. We were so wicked. We were so helpless. We were so completely unable to save ourselves. But the only answer for us is for God to become a man, live a sinless life, and then experience the full force of the wrath that we deserve in the cross of Jesus Christ. We see how horrible we are, how despicable our sin is, and how, how hopeless we are that the only way we could be saved was for God to slaughter His Son and pour out the full force of His wrath that we deserved on Him. And, and so if you lose the offense, you lose the gospel. If you lose the offensive parts, you lose the truth, you lose the essential truths. 
That God became a man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to satisfy His own wrath against the sin of everyone who believed God raised Him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted and it caused us to, be, to turn from sin and be raised to new life with power over sin, victory over sin, for, able to forsake and crucify our sin. And so the message is offensive and we can't, we can't pull back on the offense of the message so the world won't hate us because if we lose the offense, we lose the message. We lose the gospel. And so the church was faithful to the message and so they were preaching an offensive message. But Luke tells us they were having favor with all the people. The people liked them. And so I believe that it's possible to preach an offensive message in a way that is not offensive. The gospel is offensive enough. We don't have to be. And so the second truth, when we preach that offensive message, we don't have to preach it in a way or proclaim or speak that message. We don't have to preach it or speak it in a way that's offensive. We can speak the truth with grace. You know, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, let your speech also be with grace. Seasoned with salt... Yes, it, it might sting an open wound. It, it is intended to purify. But let your speech be with kindness, with grace, pleasant. You're not trying to win an argument. You're not trying to show how smart you are. You're not trying to show that you are better than someone else or that you're better because you have somehow managed to discover the truth of this gospel and overcome the offense. No, you too were a hopeless sinner, dead in your trespasses and sin, completely, totally helpless and hopeless. And if you came to know anything, it's because God taught you. If you saw anything, it's because God revealed it to you. If you had faith, it's because God granted it to you. Because it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. You have nothing to brag about. And so we can preach this message in a way, that offensive message in a way that's not offensive. Kindness. Grace. Compassion. Love. You know, don't, don't roll back the offense because you're seeking to save a sinner from the error of his ways. You're seeking to turn a soul away from death. And you do that because you love. And you can do it in kindness. And you can do it in grace. The early church didn't compromise the offensive message. But I believe it's true that they also did not speak it in a way that was offensive. The gospel is offensive in and of itself, and so we don't have to be. We need to be kind and we need to be gracious. Paul has told, told us to let our speech be seasoned with grace, or with grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know how to answer everyone. So it's appropriate speech. And, and then Peter tells us a very similar thing. He says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for the reason of the hope that's within you. And Peter says, Do that with meekness and fear, gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. We can speak an offensive message with love. We can speak an offensive message with meekness and fear, with gentleness and respect. And I believe that's one of the 
keys to why the church enjoyed favor with all the people. They spoke a message, an offensive message, but in a way that was not offensive. They were kind. They were gracious. And not only was their speech, but I believe as we've seen in this text, their lives were not offensive. Their lives were not offensive. We could, we can preach an offensive message. We can speak an offensive message, but we can do it in a way that's not offensive, and we can live a lifestyle that is not offensive. You know, and so as believers, as Christians, we need to constantly be identifying and putting to death our own sin. We need to be repentant people. Always repenting. Repentance is not something that you just do at the beginning of your Christian life. It's something that we do all through our Christian life. We need to become repentant and confessing people, identifying the sin that is within us and fighting to put it to death so that we can live holy and pure lives. Jesus tells us to, uh, tells His followers that you're a, a city on a hill. A shining city on a hill and you need to let your light shine so that people around you can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so even though we have an offensive message to preach, we don't have to live offensive lifestyles. And we need to, to, to recognize, you know, that if... Uh, you know, it's okay to have a good reputation with the world and to have a good name. Let the offense come from the message and not the way you live. Don't let there be anything in your life that is under your control that can bring discredit to the bride of Christ, to the body of Jesus. Everything that we do in our life should show that the, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, is holy and pure and blameless and one. And we need to battle sin and put it to death. And we need to be a godly people. Allowing the Holy Spirit to produce His fruit in our lives. And so, yeah, we've got an offensive message, a message that the world hates. But at the same time, at the same time, we can pay our bills on time. We can speak the truth, not bear false witness. We can refuse to commit adultery. We can do what we would like others to do to us. And we can refrain from doing to others what we don't want people to do to us. We need to be a holy people living according to the principles of Scripture. Repenting of sin. Battling sin. Putting sin to death. And working with the Holy Spirit as He produces His fruit in our life. Submit to authority. Love one another. Make sure that there's no needy person in our midst that we respond with grace and generosity. Kindness. Graciousness. Goodness. Self-control. So we've got an offensive message. The Gospel's offensive, but we don't have to be. And we need to strive to live godly and righteous and pure lives. And the people looked and they saw this church. They saw the grace. They saw the generosity. They saw their faithfulness to go to the temple and, 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 and speak truth. They saw their love for each other. They saw their love for their neighbors. They saw their love for community. And the church was having favor with all the people in spite of their offensive message.
And so, we need to strive for godliness and holiness to show the purity and the beauty and the unity of the bride, the body of Christ. But we have to be careful. We've we got to avoid moralism here, right? The gospel, the same gospel that we speak to unbelievers, we've got to speak to ourselves every day. You know, God's not, not waiting for us to, 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 to get better, to work harder, to do more. God wants us to admit our helplessness and our hopelessness in the fact that I can't produce the kind of godliness that's going to make my neighbors look at my church and think that it's blameless and holy and pure. I can't do that on my own. God is not waiting for us to work real hard and get better. God is waiting for us to tell us, wanting, wants us to tell, it, to tell Him that we are helpless and hopeless and we cannot do this without His help. We cannot do this unless He works in us to will and do according to His good pleasure, unless His Holy Spirit produces His fruit in us. And so the Gospel is the same. You're, you're hopeless and helpless and you can't do anything apart from God's grace working in you to create in you a lifestyle and a speech that will not create offense. And also the courage to hold fast to that offensive message, realizing if we lose the offense, we lose the message. If we take out the offensive parts, we lose the essential truths of the gospel. That we are utterly and totally simple and totally depend upon God's grace for all that we are, all that we have the potential to become. And God grants repentance and God grants faith. And God grants power over sin to give us victory. Not because of anything that we do, but because of who He is and His working of grace and His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And so, community of grace, we have an offensive message. A message that is a stumbling block. A message that is foolishness. That we were so totally utterly, tragically wicked and evil that the only hope for us was for God to send His own Son and slaughter Him on a cross so that we might have life. And that all that we are and all that we have the potential to become is nothing more than a gift of His sovereign grace. And His acceptance of us is not based upon our performance, but His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Don't lose the message. But the message, let the only offense be the message and not my speech and not my way of life. Let's pray together. Lord God, we once again stand humbled before Your Word. Thankful for Your mercy and grace. Lord, thankful that You do not give what we deserve, what we earn. But You gave that to Jesus. And You give us grace and mercy. By Your grace through faith in Jesus. God, we thank You for that Gospel message. And Lord, I thank You that somebody was faithful enough to have speech seasoned with grace, or grace and, and seasoned with salt that cut and that Your Spirit used to bring me to repentance and faith. 
And God, I pray that we would be found faithful. Not shrinking back from the message. Speaking the message, but speaking it in love. With grace, with kindness. And Lord, a lifestyle that shows power and victory over sin and death. As You work within us to will and to do according to Your good pleasure. Lord, do that for Your sake and for Your glory and for the advancement of the kingdom of Your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. And so as we consider this test, there's a gospel message for unbelievers and believers. Have you ever came to the place where you recognized that you could not do it, you could not save yourself, you recognized your hopelessness and your helplessness, and you cried out to God to save you, to have mercy upon you, and you put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross, His empty tomb. You put your trust in Him alone, and were born again to new life. And as believers... The same helplessness and hopelessness God calls us to an amazingly high standard. Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. We can't do it. We can't do it on our own. God's not waiting on us to work harder. He's waiting for us to tell, us we're hopeless, tell Him we're hopeless and helpless and to cry out to Him to help and believe that He can and He will help all who come to Him in faith. So may God make us a true community of grace. Saved by His grace, gracious to one another and enjoying grace from all the people for His sake and for His glory. Amen. Let's, let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to Him. 363, let others see Jesus. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.